So, hello and welcome to Enterprise Linux Security, episode 59. We're going to talk about Alma Linux OS. We have a very surprising and really cool scientific-related announcement that'll be part of this. Just somewhere that Alma Linux is uh, actually being used, that's quite surprising. And we're going to talk about the project, why it exists, um, what it is in the first place, how to migrate. There's all kinds of things we're going to talk about when it comes to Alma Linux OS. And we have somebody here that I think knows a thing or two about Alma Linux OS. Not that you don't, Joe, but also Adelaide. We have you here today, which is great. You were on the show. I forgot what episode it was for the Attacker Mindset some time ago. And now you're here to represent Alma Linux. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm pretty good. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Let us know, um, you know, what you do for the project, what you're up to these days, and, you know, we'll talk about Alma Linux. Oh, well, you know, uh, on our previous episode, I was, uh, I, I, I came here with my uh, black hat and then the white hat. So I was always changing my uh, hats and the colors now. And thanks God, I am kind of a penguin. And uh, I am nowadays the project uh, manager of the, excuse me, the program manager of uh, the Almanix Foundation. So I'm some kind of a middleman trying to organize the things, coordinating the things. So I know a bit, not great as an engineer and not great as the community manager, but so I think I can handle today. <laughs> I'm sure you'll be just fine. Um, yeah, the, just uh, before we actually get into the meat of this, it's really nice to, to talk about the Alma Linux project again. Um, it's pretty dear to my heart at the start when we incubated the idea at, um, at Cloud Linux. Um, I had the privilege of managing the community at the start for the first three or four months or something like that, starting the Reddit community and all of that. Um, so yeah, it's really, really nice to see the project has flourished and the, the community is thriving around it and all the, the, the innovations that we brought to the table with Alma Linux. So yeah, thank, thank you very much for joining us today at the live. You're welcome. Thank yep. you. Thank you so much also for having me. So what is Alma Linux? And why does it need to exist? I figure that's a good place to start, but I'm sure a lot of people already know, so we don't have to spend too much time on that. But for people that have yet to hear about it, they've been living under a rock. Uh, let's see if you could tell us a little bit about the project, what it solves and all that. What it solves, you know, uh, when CentOS developers uh, announced that they will, they will have to say, um, change the track a bit. I mean, they will be uh, upstream. Uh, most of the web hosting uh, companies um, just they, they were trying to figure out how can they find a new solution uh, are they going to still use the CentOS operating system so uh, are there be a, will there be any alternatives and at those times the, you know the Racky Linux uh, also uh, appeared so um, and also the Alma Linux but at those times uh, it was um, called as the project Lenis. So the Cloud Linux developers first kickstarted the project and after some short period of time, um, the name changed to Alma Linux and um, the Alma Linux OS Foundation was also established. Uh, that is because, you know, the transparency is so important for people 
uh, and they would like to uh, rely on the developers. So at those times, um, people also were anxious about the uh, who, who is creating Almanux and what what if happens again uh, after some years. Um, if, if uh, for example, uh, if there is a company and the company managers decide to change the roadmap again, or maybe they will cancel the project, what will happen? So, uh, those because uh, for solving those questions, the Almanix OS Foundation was created, and you know it is a non-profit organization and it is totally transparent. So that means Almanix will always be a community-driven project and uh, as far as the world exists also this Linux distribution will exist and um, let me talk about what Alma Linux is um, hopefully I could um, introduce uh, the foundation uh, why it exists mm -hmm. and now let's talk about the distribution itself you know um, it is a CentOS alternative uh, and uh, it is a one-to-one -one, uh, Red Hat Enterprise Linux uh, binary compatible and it's totally free, open source and community driven as I mentioned before. So uh, any company who is running uh, mission critical application and services and they would like to use an enterprise uh, great uh, Linux distribution, a free one, then they can uh, use Almanux uh, for free. That's why Almanux exists. That, that that says a lot. I mean, first of all, to give someone something that um, I don't want to say was taken away from them because CentOS itself wasn't taken away, but it, like you said, it was changed. It's kind of like um, ripping the carpet out from underneath everybody and hoping that not too many people trip. <laughs> but um, you know, coming at coming with a solution to basically have a drop-in replacement for what they were using before is such a, it's almost like a mental health service in my opinion, because I just think about all the people that when this this news happened with CentOS and then they're all of a sudden having to create plans around what to do about this. And then, um, hey, we have a solution. That That's definitely something I think everyone wants to hear when they're going through something like that. So, and then not only that, you built a community, which is also really cool. And there, there's also something else there that we should unpack. On the enterprise space, when you're looking for an alternative, you're not just looking for something that will solve you the, the short-term problem of not having a supported distribution anymore. You want something reliable that you know is going to be there for a few years. It's no, You know it's going to be dependable. It has a future. It, Plans on the enterprise are usually on a multi-year scale. It's not just something that, okay, I'm going to run this distro for two months and then switch to whatever else comes along. Um, you need to plan ahead. You need to, to minimize the amount of effort and time that you waste basically doing all of these changes and migrations and all of that. So having a distribution that's not only backed by a company, because as we saw with CentOS, that can go away pretty easily, but something that's community-owned and community-controlled and... I mean, it has all the tools on, in in the in the open. If you go to to Alma Linux GitHub, for example, there's the the whole build system is there if you want to use it yourself. Having that kind of transparency from the start, that's really really important. Yeah, it really is. I, th I think one of the most egregious things to me about the CentOS thing was that it probably wouldn't be as big of a problem, at least in my opinion, if they 
you know, came out with a press release that says after the supported period of our current release is over at that point, we're going to switch over to the new normal. Um, for enterprise, just like you said, and this is what reminded me of this, you know, you said it's a multi-year thing. Um, you know, they're not, no, no one was planning, at least that, that I know of, of switching distributions uh, that quickly, but all of a sudden, a lot of people had to make some plans. So I feel like pulling something like that all of a sudden on, you know, enterprise customers was, uh, they had to have known that that was going to cause a lot of frustration. But but then again, like like you said, I mean, this I've used all my Linux myself. It's a great distribution, and I, I'm very happy that it exists. But I think the enterprise companies out there, they're probably even more happy that this exists. Yeah. <laughs> and and there is also something else. Um, having that the ability to, to just drop in something in place. And I see somebody on the on the chat asking about why not Rocky Linux and why Alma Linux. Um, Hey, feel free to use Rocky if you prefer Rocky. It's a matter of, uh, of perspective. I'm sure we're going to defend Alma Linux further down the, the episode, but it's all a matter of, pers of how you approach this type of things. Um, the way that the, um, the foundation is established and the way, I'm sure Atal, I can talk more about this, uh, but the way that the foundation is established, you have a more reliable pass forward and you're more sure of your future if you go with Alma Linux than if you go with Rocky. Again, this is obviously biased, but uh, yeah, um, there are there are some things that you're going to have with Alma Linux that you don't have with Rocky at this point. You might in the future, who knows? And we'll talk about those as well further down the episode. But there are security-related features that you're going to get with Alma Linux that you do not have with Rocky at this point. I think it's interesting that your project. Um the Alma Linux project, it competes the same way my company competes, which is it doesn't compete, right? So if someone asks me, which Linux YouTube channel should I watch? My answer is going to be all of them. Watch all of them. Why, why watch just one of them? Doesn't make sense. And then if someone asks me what, what I should choose between Alma Linux and Rocky, I'll tell them simply uh, research both, check out both of them, and then come to a conclusion of your own. And I think that's the best way to handle it because I think software that's really good will speak for itself. Well, at that point, I would like to mention that, you know, um, as, a, as a company manager, and I think the managers uh, should focus on, um, of course, there are lots of uh, huge similarities between those two uh, Linux distributions for sure. Uh, and they aim to provide the same thing uh, to the Linux users. But maybe the, the main difference is the governance as Joao also uh, Talk, talked about. So what I can say is, you know, um, Alma Linux OS Foundation guarantees the future of the project. Uh, what I try to say is this, this uh, for example, um, for the long-term support, um, Alma Linux is also, um, how to say, provides uh, beneficial choices. So, and uh, if you look at the transparency, you can see anything everything is transparent uh, within the Alma Linux project. For example, um, if someone would like to contribute to the wiki page of the Alma Linux org uh, website, so it is totally free and it is totally open to anybody. And at the end of the day, there is no administration page. You only go to GitHub, you uh, have the fork and then make your changes or additional things, whatever. 
and then you request the, the pull, pull request and then if everything is okay then you will see what you had added cont contributed to the project in just a few uh, minutes maybe so you know this Linux OS foundation provides the transparency and it guarantees you the uh, how to say the future of the Linux is uh, totally guaranteed under guarantee so maybe that this will make uh, the difference for choosing those yeah. uh, Linux distributions. Being owned by the community is is definitely the best thing, especially given what's happened. Being owned by the community, like you were saying, just means that you know people are wondering, can this happen again? Well, well, a company doesn't own this. You don't want to be clear on that. It's a community project, so you'd have to pry Alma Linux from the fingers of every single person involved, and that's just not going to happen. <laughs> so. And there is this funny metric that you can use on open source projects like Alma Linux, for example, which is the buzz factor. How many people can get hit by a buzz and the project survive? On Alma Linux, all of them can get hit by a buzz and the project is still out there. And all the tools are out there, all the tooling, all the infrastructure, everything is out there to be remade if the buzzer hits a really large number of people. Um, Alma Linux is built to survive. Um, and that's something that I found very interesting when I, when I was invited to take the position at Alma Linux right at the start, and I'm sure that Alma, uh, that Atalai knows that as well right now. Um, but yeah, that's one of the, the driving factors for me. First in accepting that position at Alma Linux when it started, and now in my interest with Alma Linux right now, um, is knowing that the project is really stable, has a really good future. Um, and I'm going to do a shameless plug here to the work that we do at Techscare. Um, we just recently in, uh, launched the um, enterprise support called AlmaCare for Alma Linux that gives you up to 16, year of, 16 years of support for your Alma Linux distributions. Um, from the people that initially developed Alma Linux themselves and know this inside out, um, if you need enterprise uh, solution and enterprise support level for, for Alma Linux, we can provide you that. Um, but yeah, so we basically can cover all of your bases if you're if you want more than just the, the open source solution. Yep, and we'll have a link in the description for that. Uh, sometime after this recording is over, I'll go in and add that link to the description so people can check it out. So I, I understand because you know I think we've all been in this industry for a long time, so we all understand that it's a very long process to build a distribution. But what I was not expecting before we hit the record button was to hear that 9.1 was done in two days. How? Atalai, do you want to expand on that? <laughs> you start first, please. On <laughs> uh, 9.1 in two days, yeah. that's my understanding, right? You guys yeah. came out with that in two days. Yeah, it always had been such a way, right, Joao? Uh, I mean, only a few uh, days, start... yeah. The, the build times have been improved a lot over time. Uh, the, the initial one, the initial release of Alma Linux was built on top of 8.5, I believe, if I'm recalling correctly, and it took about a month. And every single solution, every single release of Alma Linux since that has been shortening the, the time it takes to get out after Red Hat releases their version. And 9.1, it was amazing. Like two days after the Red Hat releases, there was a new Alma Linux release. That 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 shows a lot how how mature the the build infrastructure is and how resilient it is to changes, um, and, and I, I guess, guess we're going to see that on, on the next, next release as well, right, Atalek? Yes, indeed, correct. <laughs> and that, as I tried to mention, you know, uh, in each um, update, 
um, the uh, release team is also improving themselves so <laughs> the the amount of the time that um, the how to say the release time is also decreasing so maybe maybe in the next uh, releases it will be less time to uh, release the new uh, version why not and and that's so amazing to me. So in two days, the first thought is it's rushed, but it's not. It it's the build tools have just matured that much to where the, you know, the compilations just come out that much faster than they used to. I personally would have been satisfied with a month. I mean, there's some distributions that based on Debian that don't even like update to you know the Debian base in a year, let alone you know a month. But then getting it so efficient down to just two days, I, I feel like that is so amazing because it also avoids a lot of overwhelm that comes with building a distribution like this because if the tools are good then you know people work smarter and not harder which um, i would say is gonna uh, definitely brighten developers days by not having to do as much tedious uh, builds themselves and have great tools to help them do their job and uh, 9.2 is am i understanding this correctly is coming out or is it already out no, it, it's, it's coming, coming out. Coming out. Yeah. Um, it's coming out. Uh, Red Hat will probably release it uh, late this month or early next month. So you can likely have Alma Linux a day or two after that. Wow. Um, I don't want to throw the, the engineers under the bus on this, so don't quote me on that number. Um, but yeah, judging from past releases, mm -hmm. it's been it's been really, really quickly. At least from somebody looking out as I am right now, it's been amazing. And it's not just that it's fast to release. There's also other things that go along with that, especially support for other, for other architectures. In the enterprise space, you're seeing more and more ARM64 servers, and you're still seeing IBM Z service. So it's really interesting that Alma Linux produces flavors for all of those. Yeah, totally. Totally. So do you guys have um, like a continuous integration development system where you have like um, some kind of test machines that receive the OS? Like how, how does that process work to um, know that it's ready for release? Are there build agents uh, or anything like that? Or am I, is it even too complex for the, just thought I'd care. I'm really curious about it. So That's all I how that works. Well, uh, you know. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just curious. I don't mean to put you on the spot, but I mean, because I'm sitting here with my Ansible config, and that's why it's fresh in my mind, because I always support three distributions with my config. Just in case one goes away, I have two other ones, just like I think most companies should do it. And I have ARM64 machines and x86 machines and all running different combinations of these distributions. So when I put in a commit to my Git repository, it builds on all of them. And I know it works. And that's just for me. And I'm only one person, let alone a distribution and building something that uh, the, the public is going to you know, use. That's got to be a much bigger task. So I'm just curious how, if there's anything in the build system that you have or how the tooling works for building the different architectures if it doesn't take like, you know, two or three hours to explain. <laughs> um, I can actually help you out on this one, Natalie. Um, the, the build infrastructure 
that we have at Alma Linux, that we had at Alma Linux, that we probably still have. Um, yeah, it was provided by some of the sponsors of the, the project, including Metanix and uh, AWS and all of that. We have some very big sponsors behind the, the project and they provided infrastructure for all of this um, of these different platforms. So the, the tests that are run, the builds that are run are actually on the, the hardware itself. So yeah, wow. we can be sure that it runs. And I can attest to that because I remember testing the first release of Alma Linux, and I was actually expect, expecting this test to fail, but it worked fine. I, I grabbed a, an older ThinkPad. I actually, I think it was somewhat newer at the time, and it had an NVIDIA GPU in it. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to give this distribution some work. This isn't even a proper server you know, chassis or anything. This is just a consumer-level laptop. And everything worked out of the box. I was floored. I thought at least I would have a uh, crashing Xorg or uh, something like that because of the NVIDIA driver and having to load that in there. But it worked. Everything was fine. So I could personally attest to that as really surprising because anytime I test an enterprise distribution, I'm usually expecting a little bit of work on hardware like that. But I didn't have to do anything. It, I logged in and I started using it. So um, definitely checks my boxes for sure. And so moving on from here, I'm I'm curious, um, did Alma Linux have something to do with like this massive scientific endeavor? Because I think we might want to talk about that if, if it's the case. <laughs> well, um, you're talking about the CERN thing, right? <laughs> yep. Yep. Not, not a new Spider-Man movie with a, a large, you know, I make a lot of sci-fi jokes about this one. And you'll understand why in just a moment. Maybe Joao also would like to answer this question because um, he, he, he is a little bit, <laughs> how to say, you know. Um, so yeah, the, not that long ago, uh, Alma Linux was, was adopted by CERN. The guys with the, the big collider, the big Atom Smasher collider. Um, and that's why Jay was mentioning this about the, the supervillain origin story. Um, yeah, when when your distribution gets picked up for for something as large and as important as CERN, it's really a badge of honor that you should wear proudly. Um, and I know the Alma Linux had the, the, the privilege of receiving a guided tour of CERN and the, the Collider itself. And I was pretty jealous that I wasn't invited there, but still really fun, really fun news for, for Alma Linux and really important news for Alma Linux and the scientific community. Um, you'll, I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but CERN is not just that research facility, it's not just the accelerator. It's a consortium of about 400 or 450 research institutes and universities across Europe. So getting selected as the distribution of choice for that, it's really, really big. Wow, and that replaces Scientific Linux, if I understand correctly. Yeah, for that Scientific project. Linux was the, the distribution that they were using before. And Scientific Linux has basically stopped being developed, as far as I know. Um, um, so, yeah, so yeah, they needed something, something that they could drop in and replace Scientific Linux. Scientific was itself a fork of CentOS, not because of this decision, but from some years back. Um, so Alma Linux just fit the build perfectly. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, think I think that's just amazing, too, because it, it, I mean, I, if I was working directly with the project and then heard the news about CERN, 
I, I, I don't think I would stop, stop smiling, smiling for a week. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's, that's got to be the most validating thing that you could possibly experience working on a distribution that is being taken up by a very important and very large scientific research entity like that. That's amazing. So maybe, sure maybe this, this well. may be a, an answer for the Jay's uh, question. I mean, why to choose uh, Alma Linux? <laughs> so yeah. Because CERN chose it. <laughs> I mean, there you go. Need I even say anything more? I think that's a, a good point, actually. <laughs> yeah, so that's a, an amazing badge of honor, just like you said, Zhao, in, in Adelaide. Yeah, that's a great reason to choose Alma Linux, because apparently they thought high enough of it to use it. So, And what you said about uh, wearing a smile all day, I know for a fact lots of people on the engineering team did just that. <laughs> yes. Wow, just imagine the scientific discoveries that are going to be coming that we can only just begin to imagine. And then Alma Linux is part of that it, that discovery process. Um, I, I think that, that badge of honor is just going to get better and better because, you know, they're doing some serious research and trying to answer some serious questions over there. And to have your, you know, the distribution being a part of that is, is man, I, I couldn't even imagine. That's awesome. When you see your next documentary on the Discovery Channel about CERN and you see all those computer screens showing the simulation results and all that, it's running Alma Linux. I'm going to be looking out for it. I'm going to be pausing and scanning the frames and all this. I'm going to find that screen with the Alma Linux OS login prompt right there on the terminal. That would be awesome. Yeah, that, that uh, happens to me. a lot better than seeing Windows errors at Taco Bell. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, you're saying, Adelaide? I was just saying, uh, you know, that happened to me on, on the um, Mr. Robot and the uh, Matrix movies when I saw uh, somebody's using real um, commands like and on real tools that we use on cybersecurity, such as NMAP. So maybe in the near future on the, uh, on the movies, maybe we will also see Alma Linux. <laughs> Well, there's a, a book I read a long time ago that I really enjoyed, but it's also kind of a scary book. It's called Demon, and it was, it's about a basically a Unix process that takes over the world. And um, at one point, they were going to make a movie out of this, but for whatever reason, didn't happen. But if they do, that's another opportunity right there. You could be in that movie. That'd be really cool. Uh, but anyway, the reason why I bring that movie up is because um, it's it was what it was very realistic how they portrayed technology. Like in one part, one person is literally trying to um, get the receptionist's attention while someone sneaks behind them to the server room. It starts entering um, buffer overflow and SQL commands to a Windows 2000 server in the back corner. <laughs> Oh man, fun times. But yeah, sci-fi, I could get off on a tangent on that, but I'm going to stop myself because then we'll probably go on like three hours and uh, we'll be off on a tangent. Um, software bill of materials is is on my list of things that we should be talking about. And this is a something that Zhao and I have been talking about as uh, this news comes out, the requirements come out. Um, so I have it on my list. So let's talk about the software bill of materials and how um, that impacts Alma Linux or how Alma Linux helps that process. <laughs> I'm asking nah, hard questions no, today, no. I guess. It's yeah. fine. Yeah, we, we've discussed the, the software bill of materials before on yep. the, the podcast repeatedly when we're talking about vulnerabilities and package dependencies and all of that. 
Um, basically, a software bill of materials is when you have an actual list come together with your software that shows the, um, all the versions and all the packages that were used to build it, all the dependencies or the libraries that are pulled, the signatures of those libraries so that they cannot be tampered with and that you can verify it against. And this isn't something that you often see on Linux distributions. This is something that you need to, to actually put some effort into getting. Um, and it's not available for all the distributions. And uh, at Alai, um, this is something that is going to come along with the next release of Alma Linux, if I'm not mistaken. And also, you're working on the CIS benchmarks. As far as I see, some questions on the live chat screen about CIS benchmarking. So, you know, uh, we will see much more features for compliance and cybersecurity that by default, when you install Almonix, you will most probably be compliant with any regulations that you have to be compliant with. And also it will be more secure. I mean, um, you know, the Almonix is developed in a secure manner. So... Uh, maybe you can also talk about the open scap. So what I'm trying to say is not only SBOM, also the open scap is um, helping the um, system administrators to um, realize the gaps, the vulnerabilities, and if they're using the system in a secure way or not. So as far as I remember, uh, I mean... Since the 8th uh, version of Alma Linux, uh, you can see the uh, CIS benchmark results and the, uh, the rule set. Uh, so maybe you would like to talk about it also, uh, Joao. Um, this is the, the thing that you need to, to use if you want to automate your security testing and your compliance testing. There are tools out there that will take your, your SIS markings, that will take your OpenSCAP information, your software bill of materials, and they will be run against the system and they will come out with a report. With that report, you can either show to your auditor, see, we may say that we are we are complying with this regulation and that, and this is the, the official tests that show that the, the results that, that show that we are actually doing what we claim to be doing. So for, for industries like, say, banking or healthcare that are highly regulated, this is the type of information that you require to, to run a system on one of those industries. Um, having that come out of the box, that's, that's really big. Um, I don't know if it's that easy to, to get this information to get this, how important this is to, to somebody that's not really on the, the enterprise side of things. But if you're in the enterprise, being able to automate this information, this reporting means two things. First, that you can actually prove your compliance. You're not just claiming to, to be compliant with something. And second, you don't have to do it manually. You don't have to have a checklist that you go through and you check, okay, I'm running this version of the package and this meets the compliance. I'm running that version of the package and this also meets the compliance. You can actually use automation tools to prove that compliance. That's really, really big and a really big time saver as well. Yep, and I, I feel like one of the common, actually probably the most common issue I see in enterprise IT uh, firms is basically the the lack of documentation, right? You could someone could develop really great code, but documentation, on the other hand, is often a little um, not as great as we would like. But to have something like that to um, help at least help with the software bill of materials, because that was one of my first thoughts when Zhao and I we started talking about this. I'm thinking, well, 
you know, it, it's not a bad requirement. I know it's going to be an extra workload, but, you know, we're still trying to get developers, uh, some of them, I'm sure the, you, the one listening, are, are not the problem at all. Everyone else, um, when it comes to development companies, they just don't document well and not have to keep up on a software bill of materials is probably just another you know, documentation related thing to keep on track of. But the difference is this is a legal requirement now, not a suggestion that you need to do it, but to have something in place for that to help with that, I think is great. And that's also, I'm assuming, going to make some developers feel pretty good if that's not something that's going to be as difficult as it could have been. And if you're trying to imagine in what scenario that can help you, suppose you see on the news that version 5.2 of uh, an obscure library is now affected by a vulnerability and it's making the news sites and you're not sure if your systems are impacted or not. So you're scrambling to look for some tool that will scan your systems and tell you if it's vulnerable or if it's not. If you have the software bill of materials for the applications that you deployed and for the operating systems that you're running, it's just a matter of querying those documents. You just look at those documents. Is the library used here? Is that the version that is vulnerable? <laughs> if it is, then you know you've pinpointed the, the systems that you need to look at and the systems that you need to, to fix and deploy updated packages. And that's just, it's, again, I cannot stress this enough. The amount of time that you save if you have this information at the end, it's incredible. Speaking of saving, uh, saving time here, uh, what about migration? How does that work? Like, if I was a company that wanted to consider migrating to Alma Linux OS, what might that process look like? Well, um, you have already covered about the Elevate project, and Jack, Jack, uh, as far as I watched the whole episode, um, Jack told. Mm -hmm everything about it, all the parts, all the technologies that um, the Elevate project is, use, being, is using. But what I can say um, in a short term is um, the companies should be aware that a migration process is not a daunting one. If we are talking about migrating any um, real um, uh, derivative to um, Almerinux is easy because uh, they can directly um, visit the almerinux.org webpage and then uh, check the Elevate project itself and there is also a YouTube video um, that shows how uh, the migration process works so by just using the Elevate uh, project the tool itself uh, it is um, uh, easier than expected to migrate from for example, CentOS to Almerinux. And it supports a lot of distributions, right? It's not just yeah, CentOS and Almerinux. It, it actually lets you move laterally to through all the, the derivatives of Red Hat, like four or five, like Oracle and even Rocky itself. Um, and now it even supports, if I'm, and again, don't quote me on this one, but I'm almost sure that it lets you move up the versions as well. So you can move from one 8.5 to a 9 version of another one. Um, yeah, the, again, consider that CentOS up to a few years ago didn't even have an, up, an upgrade pass available. When you asked how to upgrade from, say, 5 to 6, the response you would get on the, the forums for CentOS was that, oh, it's easy. You just reinstall a new machine and then you deploy your applications again. That's how you that's do the easy. upgrades. Yeah. yeah, that's easy. Um, and now you have a, a tool that just basically asks you, are you sure? You tell him yes, and at the end, okay, now you're running this new version. That, that's, that's so amazing to me because I, I've never thought of a distribution migration 
as anything other than a major pain in the behind. But, you know, that certainly makes it a lot easier. And we did cover the Elevate project um, in the past. So we already have a video on that, which we'll probably add to the description. But the uh, the process of migrating is not like it used to be. You don't have to reprovision everything and reinvent the wheel. I mean, sure, there's going to be some situations if you're going from a completely different unrelated distribution, but even, but even then, then um, it's, it's still not as bad as it used to be when I first started. started. I feel like we have it easy compared to how we used to have it. I still remember being stuck on 5.something and having a completely broken Apache server that I could not upgrade because there were no more updates available, it was no longer supported, and I had no upgrade pass available to move forward. So the thing was that there were like, I don't know, hundreds of tenants having websites on that specific server, and moving that to a different one would mean that I would be breaking a lot of websites. And that wasn't something feasible. So if I had had something like this available at the time, oh boy, the time that I would have saved. Yeah, you would have had uh, job security for days. <laughs> Look what I did. I just moved us over to the new distribution and everything is working and no one even notices that anything has changed. Which is always a dream, I guess. If no one notices, then something went right. So um, I saw j just uh, something. I yeah. saw a, a question there on the chat about tools for for checking against CIS benchmarks. Um, you just need to Google that. There are tools out there, open source tools that you can run that will check the the system if it's meeting the compliance or not. I do not recall from the top of my head the the actual name, but start with OpenSCAP, and you'll find it. So there was a question in the chat room earlier, and I'm trying to find it. It must have uh, must be in the scroll back a bit. Um, is it true that Alma Linux is not currently in Azure? Because I would have thought that it would have been by now. It's in AWS, right? So is that the case? Is it in Azure currently? That's what I thought too, but, I, but a, there was a comment that I just wanted to double check. So I guess we could, um, off the top of your head, you know, you know, maybe list some of the environments where it's available when it comes to cloud providers. Uh, one, I, I just need to step up with one that I'm sure it's not very widely known. You can even deploy Alma Linux on Windows Subsystem for uh, for mm. uh, Linux. It's available as a distribution there. Wow, that's a that's a lot of exposure there too. Jay, and also, um, if possible, I can also answer one of those questions. Uh, is is Windows FX is Linux? Yes, it is and uh, it is mimicking Windows and it was first created by a um, Brazilian developer, uh, Linux enthusiast, uh, Rafael Rashid, if I don't know if I pronounce his name correct. And um, his first aim was to, uh, for the old computers um, running Windows 7 and they, they cannot uh, upgrade their systems to Windows 10, for example. Um, the main purpose was um, providing Linux but you know the all of the um, user interface is almost the same with the Windows itself. So um, this is a Windows Linux distribution. But when you look at it, it is a totally a Windows operating system. It looks like. So I, I just wanted to answer the, this question. Uh, yep. I see another right. one that's very interesting. What's the buzz with Alma Linux and why do people care so much? Hey, welcome to the Linux world. This is how we treat distributions out here. It's like it's the end of the world. I feel like we care too much, right? Uh, literally, uh, we could obsess over 
um, the weirdest things. Like I'll give you the perfect example of this, and I don't think this has happened very recently, but I remember, you remember the controversy, I think it was multiple times over which desktop environment Debian would default to? And everyone mm-hmm. just had their opinion and arguing back and forth. And, but let the record indicate that the default desktop environment in Debian is literally a checkbox during installation that takes all of like two seconds to deselect and select something else. So default means default selected checkbox during install. But it, it, I mean, it must have been months people were going back and forth, XFCE, uh, Gnome, Plasma, which one should be the default? And yeah, we care a lot. We care a <laughs> lot. <laughs> and we will be very mean to anybody that doesn't agree. So yeah. Um. <laughs> yeah there's there's a lot of those people out there too. Um, but but in the Linux community, yeah. I you know it's a it's a labor of love to begin with. I think that's what everyone has to understand. When you have a community project, it's it gets even harder to uh, separate passion from what you're doing because often most of these people are just you know they're donating their time to a project. They're not even getting paid for it. A lot of people do get paid for it, but some don't. And passion is what makes these people want to help up with that. But when there's passion, I mean, look at the Star Wars community, for example. Try going in there and saying you like any one of the first three movies and just watch the fireworks, right? So just like you go into a Linux chat room and you say you like distribution X or this desktop environment, that desktop environment, you may as well bring some popcorn with you. <laughs> um, by it the is. way, uh, I didn't mean to demean the question. Um, why is Alma Linux popular, and why is it been, has it been getting attention? Well, first, it's because it's been reliable. It's been one of the first CentOS alternatives. It was the first one that was released. It was the first one out there with Secure Boot. It was the first that is covering a lot of the checkboxes on the enterprise world, like OpenSCAP, like Software Bill of Materials. It's ticking the right security boxes. It's dependable on the, the release schedule. You don't, for example, with Rocky, some of the releases that on Alma Linux look like three or four days or something like that, you would wait a month or more with the Rocky equivalent. Um, so yeah, people tried to pay more attention to the one that was being more reliable, but that was about it. I'm not trying to, to start a flame war here on why one is better than the other one. Um, again, the Elevate project as well, that was really a big one. Um, we provided the tool, and by we, I'm not me personally, but the Alma Linux project provided a way for to to give you a, an easy migration pass, which is something that's, like we talked about, not easy to get. And the Elevate tool provided just that, even if not even Alma Linux specific, but it gave you that pass. Um, and yeah, that those are some of the reasons why it's on DistroWatch really well placed and has been for the past 12 months. Yep, yep. So I just want to confirm SE Linux is in by default because that's in the same with Enterprise Linux because in the chat room there was a question about that. And my understanding is SE Linux, um, AppArmor, I, I think more of like Ubuntu and in, in yeah. the like. Yeah, okay. Making sure I have that correct because yeah, SE Linux is part of it as well. So And don't disable SE Linux. I just want to go on the record and say that. Learn how to use it and write the policies and um, it, it could definitely help you out. Uh, keep SE Linux enabled. It's good. Even if half the stuff you try to do, it's gonna stop you from doing. No, just just add some extra time to your you know your process there uh, to test I it know. because yeah you <laughs> know I'm just teasing yeah we, we we have a dry sense of humor on this podcast <laughs> often so that's and sometimes in my case uh, 
overly dramatic sense of humor, <laughs> but it is what it is, right? <laughs> we love um, what we do. Yeah. It, again, selling I'm not going to let this one go. Um, I've been so hit in the past with it stopping me from changing a pro the port for a service or changing the the user that's running a service or something like that, and it will keep back come back and complain at me. You cannot do that. Of course I can. I'm rude. I can do anything. <laughs> and it will insist that I cannot, and then it will struggle back and forth some time, and then I'll eventually disable it. But yeah, don't quote me on that one. Do not disable Selinux. Uh, uh, one exception to that, I think, uh, let me know if you disagree, but I think this is valid. If you're just testing something in a lab environment, or it's a development server not being used for production in any way, shape, or form, and has no personally identifiable information on it whatsoever, I would even say just start development with SE Linux disabled, but then before it goes to production, enable it and see if anything has broken. Because at least at that point, um, SE Linux was not, you know, butting heads with you during the development process. But then at the end, you can understand everything's working. I'm going to turn on SE Linux. Whatever doesn't work is going to be uh, something in SE Linux that I have to fix, most likely. I would love to tell you yes, but I can't in all honesty tell you to do that. Um, yeah. If you disable it even in testing, then what's going to happen is you're not going to spot the, the problems in time to fix them before release. So yeah, leave security enhanced Linux in place. Try to solve the problems that it raises. Usually it's right in complaining that something is not as it's supposed to be. Uh, learn the commands, learn how to, to go around and fix the, the proper permissions, the proper definitions for the service that you're reusing it. And uh, yeah, if you don't want it to block, change it just to report, at least you'll know what you should have done, but do not disable it even in the in that scenario. I was joking before. I would say uh, for, for people that are new, uh, a good analogy as to why SE Linux is important, you know, because the joke is that we disable it because it's always getting in our way. But it, we, that's kind of the point, because if you were to change the SSH port, you know you did that, so you know you have to go ahead and correct that. But if someone else that's not you, someone you don't know, a threat actor, starts up an SSH server on a different port, you don't want that to happen. You don't want that to be a possibility, and that's what SE Linux, one of the many things, it's, well, that's not the right port for SSH, and that's against the policy, so that's just not going to be allowed. And that that does help. It really, really helps. So don't disable it. All right. So any other thoughts we want to mention about Alma Linux and, um, you know, why it's so amazing? I don't know. Uh, maybe, maybe um, tomorrow. Uh, when, when does the CloudFest begin? Tomorrow? Is it tomorrow? So maybe maybe we can meet in the CloudFest uh, Alma Linux booth. So maybe if people would like to share their experience with Alma Linux, or maybe they would like to meet someone um, at the backstage of Alma Linux, so they they are free they, they should feel free to visit the uh, booth on CloudFest. Yeah. And it's not just CloudFest, right? Alma Linux is going to be present on the the major conferences. Yes, of course. <laughs> yep. I have witnessed this firsthand. <laughs> I mean, absolutely. Uh, it was at scale as well. It was last year on AI. All things open, uh -huh, as far as I remember. Yeah. Yep. All things open. That's where I. Yep. I, I saw the team there and scale. Not this most current scale, but the one before that I was present for. So yep. They had, there was booths available, and I, I love the fact that there was a real Dell server 
a, a rack server that looked like it weighed a ton, just sitting on this desk that barely looked like it can support the weight of this thing. And they, you know, they had all my Linux installed on the metal and then also a Raspberry Pi. You know, they had both ends of the spectrum, a really constrained machine and this big monster that could do some processing and they had it installed on both. And, um, you know, that's doing it right, I have to say. At a convention, um, if you have a server distribution, bring a server. It doesn't look weird. People are gonna think it's awesome. Yes. And for the ones that love hardware, that's that's like the cherry on top. Um, take one of those really nice ARM servers that have like 192 cores available and all of that, and they're really, really nice to look at. So, yeah. I kind of want one of those, to be honest. 192 cores, I could, I could make some use of that. <laughs> Um, it's been some time now, so I think it's okay to, to talk about this. Um, at the start, when we started getting the, um, the first supporters for Alma Linux and the first official sponsors and all of that, we got some servers sent to us so that we could host the, the testing and build the environments. And there were some restrictions about shipping the server directly from the um, from the company that was offering the server to our data center. So they actually shipped it to my place and then I shipped it to the data center. And two things. First, it was massive. And second, he heavy as hell. And you cannot imagine the itch I got to just take it out of the box and deploy it on my own home lab just for a spin. But hey, not lying, I didn't do it. So yeah. That was amazing. Just, I would have it been felt, so It fell from the back of the truck. I never got it or something like that. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was one of those monsters. Those are monsters. So um, is there, are there any um, go-to ARM64 servers right now? Because I, you know, I, I feel like this is something I wanted to check out, uh, but I don't know like what brands or if it's even that standardized yet. Or can you talk about what brand that was? I don't know how, how uh, private that was. It's okay if you can't. No, right now I wouldn't want to do that. But you have ARM servers right now from all of the, the major brands anyway. You have Asus, you have Gigabyte, um, ASRock, and then you have the, the, the server brands as well. Um, Supermicro has them, I believe. Um, there are Ampere as well. Ampere has a lot of really nice servers, ARM servers. Um, yeah, take a look at some of those if you're interested in that. Absolutely, I think I'll do that. So, any other thoughts? I, I think that uh, we we definitely covered all the Linux, but we might have a little bit of time for more. If there's anything else you guys want to add? Well, on my side, no. But only I can say even even Red Hat, uh, excuse me, even Alma Linux is an um, enterprise grade uh, Linux distribution. Um, as a crazy game player, especially MMORPGs, I. I also can play my um, how to say favorite games on Alma Linux, so please just don't consider that Alma Linux is only for um, server usage. You you may also install on your desktop PC or your notebook and do whatever you want want uh, to do on a Linux computer. Absolutely. All right. So there we go. That was episode number 59. We talked about Alma Linux. That was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it. Uh, Adelaide, thanks for joining us today. I really appreciate it. Thank that. you for having. Even I passed most of the questions to Joao. Thank, thanks to him. <laughs> <laughs> I enjoyed a lot. <laughs> Thank you so much. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It was, it was uh, fun. Problem. 
Um, yeah, thanks a lot for joining, Atalai. We're probably going to ask you to join again when we go back to, to some hacking. We had on the last episode a really nice penetration testing report that we looked at. Yep. Um, we might want to ask you about that in, a, in an upcoming episode, what your, what your thoughts are on that. Um, but yeah, thank you very much for joining and thanks everybody for, for being here with us. It uh, was a pleasure as always to be here with you guys. And until the next one.